0: I, I'm not usually in my, my jacket at church, um, but I, most of you are still wearing your jackets. I've even seen somebody with a neck scarf, so um, I feel like I'm, I've got good company. <laughs> We've been doing a series on Daniel. And uh, before we dive into the Bible, I want to just mention two things. One of them, we, we have our tree up. The giving tree is still there it's not plugged in today. It's not nearly as cool when it's not plugged in, but um, we have the giving tree. It's, it's here just for this Sabbath. So if you want to give to the, the mission fund or to the radio station specifically and put a, uh, an offering thing on the tree, um, go ahead and do that before you leave today. Secondly, there's something new in the church. It's all around you, but you might not have seen it yet. And, and to see it, you have to open your phone and go to the settings and click on Wi-Fi. And then you'll see this thing that says Bonner's Ferry Adventist. And it's an open Wi-Fi network that you can join, which means that, that we're giving you a, a, uh, a tool and a responsibility. Please use it wisely. We might turn it off if we hear people watching videos during this service. <laughs> no, but there, there's a, this is a resource because I know many of you, like me, use a digital device for connecting with God's Word. I like to, to when somebody says something interesting, to go, oh, I didn't know about that. And I'll write it down or I'll, I'll, I'll jump on Wikipedia or something to dig a little deeper as, as the speaker is talking. So if you want to do that, you can do that now. Um, so, just want to let you know that that's available. Oh, and and Brent wants to make sure that I tell you that after the service today, we have a fellowship meal for all the church. It's going to be down at the at the school. Okay, I think I think our our business is done. We're gonna we're gonna dive into the Bible now. Daniel. And uh, we're going to be in chapters 10 through 12 today. We've been doing a series. It's been going on since I think we started it in October. And we've been kind of here and there going through the book of Daniel. And today we're going to have this grand finale of the entire book, the last three chapters, the last vision in this book. Now, from the beginning of the story of Daniel, we found that there's a a one big significant theme in this whole book, and that's that God is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and that he rules in the affairs of men. That's the big idea. And one vision after another, one story after another, is God overruling for his will to be accomplished. Paul says uh, the same idea with these words in Acts chapter 17, verse 27, 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined. That's the the uh, God-planned it kind of statement. He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And we've seen some of those pre-appointed times in Daniel. We found how God has set up these nations, and we've watched how um, the, the boundaries of Of uh, Babylon were allowed to grow into the promised land and and take over Israel. And that exile was prophesied by God, but only for 70 years. And so we saw Babylon fall, even though King Belteshazzar wanted it to to stay and thought that it would, and, and threw a party defying the plan of God. And yet God's plans overruled. And Cyrus was raised to power. Persia took over Babylon. And Cyrus, according to God's prophesied plan, let the people of Israel go, just like God had said they would. And just like God had said they would, Persia was overcome by Greece. And Greece, with this great king, uh, Alexander, um, it, it didn't stay one big united empire. It broke into four parts like God had predicted that it would. And uh, it wasn't to um, Alexander's kids It was to his four generals. And then that was overcome by another power, and everything happened according to God's pre-appointed times and the boundaries that God had set for each of those nations. So today we're going to explore the last three chapters of the book of Daniel. And uh, as we do, I want to to point something out that you probably have noticed before, but let's just uh, think about it for a minute. If you find Daniel in any position... Like, the things that he's written about where he is. What's his most common position in his writings? He's down on his knees. Uh, Daniel is, more than anything else, praying. Now, I'm sure he did lots of other things, but when he writes, he writes about his time before God. In Daniel chapter 1 it seems like he was praying there, though it doesn't explicitly say it. But by Daniel chapter two, it explicitly says it. He prayed to God. He had his friends get down and they had a prayer session that night before their execution. And God revealed the dream in Daniel two. And, and uh, Daniel six, he prays even though there's a death decree. And uh, Daniel preserves, or God preserves Daniel in the lion's den. And then we find him praying again in chapter nine, when he's uh, uncertain about something. And again, in chapter 10, Let's go to the one in chapter 9, though. Daniel begins his prayers with personal concern, right? Uh, he's going about to die, and so he asks God for help and for wisdom. God gives him a vision. Daniel 6, again, he prays maybe for his country, but certainly for personal concern. And uh, by chapter 9, things change a little bit. Notice in verses um, 2 through 4. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And... I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenants with mercy and uh, with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. And then skip forward to verse 16. He says a bunch of good things between here and there. But verse 16, he says, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear our prayer, the prayer of your servant and his supplication. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Do you see what he's praying about? He, he had this vision in Daniel chapter 8, and it talked about the, the cleansing of the sanctuary, but it gave this number that was so far away that made Daniel, well, anxious, worried, worried fearful for his people, because it was going to be not 70 years before the, the temple would be rebuilt, but it sounded like the, the temple wouldn't be cleansed for another 2,300 years. And that made him worried. And, and he went to God and he said, please keep your covenant. Have mercy on us. Remember the promise you made to Jeremiah, 70 years, Lord. That's what he's, he's saying in, in uh, Daniel 9. He's, his prayer is a prayer for God's mission. He wants God's will to be done, his mission to be uh, moved forward. And that's a little bit different than the prayers that he's prayed so far in the, the first few chapters of this book. And then when you get to chapter 10, his prayer again focuses on this mission of God concern. Look in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. Now, this is about a year and a half, maybe two years after his vision in Daniel chapter 9. There's some administrative stuff I'm sure he was doing and um, some thoughts um, were going through his head. And, and then it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Now, this is a, an important Thing to point out. It's possible that this is a new vision that he never wrote down. But I think this is Daniel chapter 9, the vision about the Messiah, the anointed one who would be cut off. Can you imagine hearing as a prophet of God, hearing from God that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ was coming and you knew, even knew the time you understood the vision and it was going to be, I don't know, 490 years from now or 490. years. By the time he was having this vision, probably closer to 500 and something. But um, it was going to be just a little bit longer, and the Messiah would come. But then it says he would die. That seems like the opposite of what should happen. And he's concerned, and he understands it, but he mourns over this. And he had set himself maybe some vacation time or something. I'm not sure. But he had set himself some time to to pray and to fast. You might remember that in Daniel chapter 9... It wasn't very long before the angel came. Immediately. In fact, it says that at the time that you began praying, God sent me to answer your prayer. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, and and he's, he's there on his knees. He's praying to God, and, and there's the answer. Isn't that ideal? <laughs> but Wouldn't you like it if an angel came to answer your prayers whenever you knelt down to pray? And, and thank you, Ralph, for the, for the um, children's story about prayer. God was at work answering your prayer before you ever knelt down to pray. And that's certainly the case. But often, we are in the situation of Daniel, praying and not getting an answer. Three weeks, he mourned and, and, and wept. I believe that every difficulty is a call to prayer. Every challenge we face is a call to, to come to God and say, all right, God, here's another one. What do I do about this? And it might be a personal struggle. It might be a sin that you're trying to deal with. It might be that you've got trouble at home. Oh, well, pray. Maybe you've got trouble at work or some challenge that you're facing, something new that, that um, you're having trouble with. Uh, take time to pray. Maybe your finances are a mess or some new challenges come into your life uh, financially. Uh, take time to Pray. If you're feeling lonely, pray. God invites us to come to him like Daniel did and pray, to bring our need before him. He says that he has made himself responsible for providing for us. And Jesus even says in his prayer that he encourages us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? He he says, pray for the things you need. This is important. But there's something different about these prayers in Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel chapter 10. Daniel isn't praying for himself. He's praying for God. He is absorbed with this big picture idea of God's will and God's plan. And that's kind of what we get. You and I don't see the moment by moment stuff. We can't, we can't look into the mysteries of God's plan. But, but we can see big picture stuff covenants that he's made, promises, that he, promises he's given us, prophecies that he's outlined for us. And we can look forward to those things and say, Lord, your will be done. Please make this happen. In fact, isn't that what Jesus began that prayer with? Our Father, which art in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He asks us to pray that God's mission be accomplished, his will would be done. I, uh, I know that's something that's dear to many of your hearts. You pray for people in your community. You pray for your church. I know you pray for me. Thank you. Um, You pray for bigger picture stuff than that. The um, economy in the the United States, politics, I'm sure those are things that are on your minds and you pray that God's will be done. That's kind of what Daniel was praying for in these visions in Daniel chapter 10. There's a there's a statement in the Bible that says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Ellen White makes it, uh, twists that a little bit, takes it a little bit um, more nuanced. And she says, God will do more in answer to the prayer of a believing person than he could have otherwise, than he could have done if they had not prayed. God is, it's not that he's unable to act but in some ways he is given permission to work in our world in a way that he couldn't have worked if we didn't pray kind of because of this great controversy problem the problem with sin he's got a he's got an an issue not just on this world but on the whole universe satan's made these accusations against him and and god can't he can't manipulate and control and and uh and force us to do things. Um, Satan would just point the finger in God's court that we talked about in Daniel 7. He'd point the finger back at God and say, that was wrong. You can't do that. You messed that up. And so God is, is limited by the rules of engagement with this sin problem. He, he can't control Everything. He requires our involvement. He requires us to say yes to God or to say, Lord, please work in that person's life and then he's released and, and Satan can't say a thing about him because God's saying, I, I'm just I'm doing what I was asked to do. <laughs> God will do more in answer to the prayer of a believing person than he could have otherwise done if they had not prayed. But what if God doesn't answer your prayers? It happens quite a lot, doesn't it? You pray and you feel like you're just talking to the ceiling. There's a Sabbath school time we had this morning. Sam was telling us about his time when he ran away from God. I didn't get his permission to say this, but hopefully he'll forgive me. Oh, good. Um, he was telling us about this time when he, he ran away from God. He wanted to do his own thing, and he said that he, he was still compelled to pray at times, and then sometimes he would he would be praying, and he knew that God was not listening to his prayer. And, it, you know, in fact, the Bible says that when we are actively in rebellion against God, that God doesn't listen. <laughs> I, I know he hears us, but he can't respond to us when we're in rebellion. He, he says, repent and turn to me, and then I've got all the permission to, to, to work with you. Uh, but what if you're not in rebellion and you pray and you feel like it's still hitting the ceiling and it's not going anywhere and God's not answering? I, I kind of feel like Daniel had that experience, mourning. He's got some problem, some, some trouble in his mind. He's, he's struggling to understand something, and, uh, and three weeks go by. In fact, it's probably been longer than that, but for three weeks, he's been fasting and praying specifically for an answer, and he hasn't got that answer. There's two things that I, I think we need to recognize about prayer that we, we learn from Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel tells us that he came to prayer in ignorance, you and I often pray in ignorance. We always pray in ignorance, in fact, because we, we don't know all the details of God. We don't know all the stuff he's dealing with beyond us. We say, Lord, please help me. But, you know, God has to work with 500 different scenarios and people and choices and stuff in order to help us. He, it's not a small thing. I mean, it's a small thing to him, maybe. But for us, it's complex, and we could never know all that God is dealing with when he relates to our prayers. I think that's important to recognize. I come to God in ignorance. We know some promises, but we don't know everything. So let's come with humility and say, Lord, this is my prayer. I have a request, but your will be done, Lord. The second thing we can learn is from Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel shows us that God is dealing with spiritual forces that are beyond our ability to know. Uh, Let's read about it in Daniel chapter 10, verse 11. He said to me, "Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved, there's this guy that comes. Right, this this uh, um, the vision starts out about this um, this amazing being, and he he's shining. He's covered in in gold. He's uh, he, the skin that's showing is is like burnished bronze, and his face looks like you're looking into a lightning bolt, and his eyes are even brighter than that, if that's possible." Like, that's how the Bible describes this being. And then he says to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, mate, gr- man greatly beloved. Let's just stop there for a second. <laughs> Does God care about you? You come to him in prayer, and, and you might feel like, Oh, he, he just, he's not paying attention to me. But this, this reveals what God's heart is for you and me when we pray. You are greatly beloved. And then he keeps going. He says, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And then he says something amazing in verses 12 and 13. Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. God hears you. He cares about you. He loves you. He's interested in responding to you. But, but look, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. We're, we're not talking about a normal human here. This guy is shining like lightning. Could a typical human, just a prince from Persia, stop an angel from coming to answer Daniel's prayer? No, we know we're talking about another supernatural being, another angel. This one, a rebellious angel, um, a wicked angel, one of Satan's minions, maybe Satan himself, stands in the way and says, no, you can't go and answer that prayer. I wonder what battles God is fighting behind the scenes to answer our prayers. What resistance he's getting from Satan to prevent God from working on our behalf. We don't know all that, that that's going on, but God does encourage us to persist in prayer. Like Daniel, three weeks fasting and, and mourning and, and, and humbling himself before God and saying, Lord, please help me, and, and still no answer until finally God overcomes the battle in the background. And Guess, guess who has to come and help this angel? It says, behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And we're not going to get into all the biblical proofs, but let me just tell you this. When you find Michael in the Bible, Michael, the archangel, arch meaning the above angel. So he's the chief of the captain of of the Lord's hosts. Um, Joshua meets the captain of the Lord's hosts, the captain of the Lord's army. And what does Joshua do? He falls down and worships. And that, that being does not refuse his worship. When you find John in front of an angel in John, uh, Revelation chapter 19, he bows down to worship and the angel says, do not do that. I'm, I'm just like you. I'm one of your fellow servants, the prophets, a messenger of God. Don't worship me. Worship God. But the, the captain of the Lord's army that Joshua meets doesn't say that. Why? Why? Because he's not an angel. He's the captain of the angels, the archangel, the, co- the one that, that, that's over them all. Michael, the archangel, is Jesus himself. He's the one, the, the third person of the Godhead who becomes incarnate in Jesus. And um, he, he's, he's the one that's the chief of, of the princes. He is our prince. And Jesus, God himself, goes to intervene so that Daniel's prayer can be answered. Do you know what that says about your prayers and mine? God is not above getting involved to make sure our our, our prayers are answered and our best interests are kept in mind. God himself will, will step in and fight your battles. The moment Daniel started praying, that messenger was sent. The moment he began that prayer, God was already at work. It took some time, but God answered his prayer. And I think that's important for us to, to recognize. Keep praying. When something doesn't seem like God is answering, keep praying. Remember that you're praying in ignorance and ask for his will. Don't just be stubbornly pursuing your course of action when God is, is uh, thinking of some other solution, right? Come to God with humility and with persistence. We have a lot to learn about prayer. There's a prayer time that we have after the service and I'd encourage you to be involved in that. We learn about prayer and talking to God as we do it. There's also going to be a 10 days of prayer that we're going to start. It's about an hour each night starting this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. Each night at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a prayer time. It's called United Prayer. And we kind of just uh, have a conversational prayer with God. There'll be some scripture, a little bit of guidance on how to do it. Um, but the goal is just to get together and spend 30, 40 minutes as a group and pray together. And I think that God is inviting us to move beyond our personal concerns and pray that God's will will be done in Boundary County. This is the start of a new year. It's the start of, uh, of God's ministry plan for us this year. And we don't know what it is. We are coming to 2022 with ignorance. And that's not a bad thing. That's, that's a good place for us to be. But we need to be seeking understanding. Like Daniel was seeking understanding in Daniel 9 and Daniel 10. We need to say, Lord, please help us know your will. What's your plan look like? And we we have plans. We've got stuff on our calendar. We're going to do stuff. But we don't want to do that if God's not planning that for us. And so we need to take our plans and lay them before God and say, God, if you want us to do this, confirm it. By your spirit, confirm it and make that successful. And if you want us to do something different, then, then uh, take us a different direction. We are at your service. And I think that's really important to do, especially at the beginning of this year. So starting on Wednesday, we're gonna have 10 days of surrendering ourselves as a church body to God and his plan. Uh, come out one time if you, if you can't come every night. Come out three times. Come out every time if you can. Um, but let's pray for God's will to be done in this church and in this community. And then um, in February, the end of February, last Sabbath in February, the 23rd and the 24th, we're going to have a, a prayer emphasis weekend called Paradigm Shift. And it's going to be great. Pavel Goya is going to be involved. Um, the whole weekend's going to be about prayer. We want to learn how to pray um, better, we want to learn how to interact with God better. Now, there's a. There's some interesting stuff. When we get past Daniel chapter 10 and this prayer interaction that he has with this angel, the angel starts giving him details, answers to his questions, and and, um, and he, exp- he expands things in, in an interesting way. There are some stuff in Daniel 11 that is absolutely easy to understand. And then after about verse 5, there is no consistent interpretation of what it means. Let me just show you the outline though. Um, Daniel chapter 11 verse 2. We're, com- we're going to come back to that chart. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia. Just like in Daniel chapter 2 and in Daniel chapter 7 and 8 and 9, um, Daniel 10, 11, and 12, in this vision, he's following the same progression. And and this is a good rule of thumb. If you're dealing with an apocalyptic prophecy with symbols and strange signs and stuff, it's always going to start at the time of the prophet and going to move through time to the time of the end. And that's what we find here in Daniel 10, 11, and 12. And, And so he says this, I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia. He's... King Cyrus is the king at this time in Persia. Three more kings arise, then a fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. And we find this happening under Xerxes, who happens to be the guy that's uh, the king when Esther is written. Esther becomes his wife. And, and Xerxes is... Uh, he kind of foments some problems with Greece. And it it begins there. It it takes another hundred years before Greece ends up uh, taking over, but it begins with this guy. And uh, then it it says in in verses three and four, then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion, um, with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these. Who is this mighty king? Alexander the Great. He's the same guy that we read about and, uh, or looked at when we looked at the progression of kingdoms in Daniel 2 or Daniel 7 or Daniel 8. It's just repeat and enlarge. And we're expanding on the same prophecies that we've read before. And, and Daniel 11 continues with all kinds of interesting details. And, and we could get lost <laughs> in those details this morning. We're not going to even touch them. We're going to skip to Daniel 12. Um, and, and here's the reason why. Not because I don't have an opinion about the things that are in there, but because when we when dive into those details, we can, we can end up in some strange places. I'll give you some examples. Um, one example is, I, I listen to a preacher. I just, I just love hearing how other people look at Daniel. So I, I listened to this preacher this past week, and he's talking about Daniel 11. He says, it's absolutely certain this is the only way that it can be interpreted. It's about Antiochus Epiphanes. And he describes how it matches in so much detail, except it doesn't because he ends up taking up through verse 9 or something like that and saying that's Antiochus Epiphanes and then like 9b and onward, well, that's the Antichrist some 2,500 years later. Well, that's not what happens in any of the prophecies. There's never a break like that, so that can't be the solution. And, and then there's people that say, well, it, it tracks Daniel um, 11, tracks with the, the prophecies of Daniel 2 and 7 and 8, all the way up until um, Jesus is crucified. And then after that, you just jump into some conflict between Islam and in Israel sometime at the end of time. And they just all kinds of interesting things. Let me tell you the principle. God gives us prophecy so that after it happens, we can look back and confirm that God was the one who was in it. Now, we have prophecies that guide us towards looking into the future, knowing that we're at the time of the end, but even those prophecies are usually backward-looking. And bless our hearts, we as Seventh-day Adventists have a paradigm of the end times, and we know exactly what's going to happen. First, there's going to be this, and then that will happen, and then this, and then this other thing, and then, and then it'll get really scary, and then we'll do this, and... We have all these details. We know exactly what the future holds. In fact, we write books about it. The Sunlight Project and all kinds of other things. But that's not what prophecy is for. Prophecy guides us, knowing that God knows the future, but it's primarily for us to say, yes, indeed, God did that. God was at work in this history. I can trust him. And so if you go, and you should, look at Daniel chapter 11, explore all the nuance and the detail, um, and and figure out where it is in history. You and I, though, most of us are not theologians or or historians with enough knowledge of those things to nail it down precisely. And we don't need to be. That's what I want to tell you. We don't need to nail it down precisely to see what God is telling us in this vision. He is telling us that the progression of kingdoms will happen just as he predicted it would and that he leads us towards the end and, and look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and you'll find in uh, and, and verse 2, uh, we read verse 2 just a little bit ago, that you'll, you'll find that God, this vision, ends with the resurrection. And it, it, it packs them all together, the first resurrection and the second resurrection, packs it all together in, in, in one little statement in, in verse 2. But it ends all the way down there when God is finished with the problem of sin, The reward is given to the righteous, and all evil is ended in our world. So we know it starts in Persia, it ends at the end of time. So we're tracking with the exact same time frame that the other parallel prophecies in Daniel 2 have. And even in the end of Daniel 12, it mentions some new numbers. And we have the the 1290 and the 1335. But, But here's the one I want you to pay attention to. It mentions this 1260 Time frame, 1,260 prophetic days, which would be literal years. And we find that same thing in Daniel chapter 7. And we find it again in Revelation chapter 13. That 1,260 ends in 1798. And if you want, if you want proof for that, I can give you some documents about that, studying it out really thoroughly. But it begins in 538 AD with the rise of of um, the apostate church and ends in 1798 when the apostate church is removed from political power. That 1260 years in Daniel 12 is the same as it was in Daniel 7 and the same as it is in Revelation 13. We're looking at a parallel prophecy. So, I wanted to point that out because it helps to guide our understanding when we go and dig into the details of chapter 11. And it keeps us from getting lost in it and making strange predictions that are way in the future, way in the past. So here's some comparisons. Daniel 11:2, the kingdom of Persia. Daniel 8 and 9 mention the ram, which is Persia. Uh, Daniel 11:3, the king of Greece, and then in Daniel 8:21, the goat is Greece right. So you you're tracking all the way down and and here's where i think it gets exciting. Daniel 11:22 talks about the prince of the covenant will be destroyed. Who is the one that destroyed the prince of the covenant? Rome with the support of the Jews destroyed the prince of the covenant. The one who would come, the prince who intervened in chapter 10, Jesus himself was cut off for our sake. And, and it was at the hands of the Roman Empire that he was cut off. So all of these things track right nicely with Daniel 8 and 9. All right, so let's jump forward to chapter 12. I told you I would, so let's do it. And uh, Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Um, we read this already. Those who fall asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Look at what's at stake in this prophecy, in this big, big theme. It's life and death. That's what's at stake. Everlasting life or everlasting condemnation. This isn't a new idea. The gospel story has always been a high stakes story. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19 and you'll find God has always been about asking people to decide. Uh, Moses says, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings. Now I call on heaven and on earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life and so that you and your descendants might live. God is inviting us to, to choose him. In Daniel's story, we see this young man who's praying, um, mostly for his own challenges and his friends. And then we see a maturing process. And as he matures, um, he begins to pray for the big stuff, for God's mission, for God's work to be done. And, uh, and, and especially for God's covenant to be fulfilled. His prayers are so noteworthy that we find a long one in Daniel 9. And I think God is calling us to that same kind of maturing process, that we become prayer warriors for God's kingdom. And when we do, we'll be like this, uh, the wise people in Daniel twelve three, the ones who shine like the stars. Why? Because as we pray for God's will to be done, God sends us on his errands, and he helps us to be lights that lead other people to Jesus, Jesus said that, like this, he said that his disciples would be like burning candles. He says, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden in the same way. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father, which is in heaven and, and Peter, when he was talking about the the church, he says, The church is, is all of you guys, and you 're living stones, each one of you part of god 's special temple.." And each one of you has a work to do. And he says it like this in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God has invited us in our lives and in our witness to be like shining lights that lead people to Jesus. And, and as we do, we will well, we'll be like those angels that the wise men saw from uh, far off in the distance. They were talking to the... To the um, the shepherds, but the wise men saw them from way off and they thought, that's a star. And they followed that star and where they got to was the bedside of the baby Jesus. Can you imagine? We're we're all influencing people in some way, but, but if people followed us and we weren't anywhere near Jesus, we wouldn't have done them any good. But as we are close to Jesus in prayer, in, in study, in our, in our life, that our works are glorifying God, then people will, will say, wow, that's amazing. I want to I understand that more. And they come after us and where they find, what, what they find when they get to where we are is the Son of God, the, the light of the world. This year we're beginning something. It's a year of beginnings. And so we're going to begin something that uh, I think is, I think is going to be a big deal. We're not going to focus on lots and lots of things. We're going to do a bunch of stuff, but we're not going to focus on lots and lots of things. We're going to focus on one main thing: becoming a welcoming church we're already a nice church. I'm sure if if you're just visiting here, you probably have already been uh, welcomed warmly. But there's ways that we can grow. We could become better at this. And in just two weeks, we're going to have a 90th um, anniversary celebration, which is um, a a worship service. But we're going to focus on how God has led us in our past and where he's leading us in the future. We're going to have a guy named Mike Lambert here. Anybody know Mike Lambert? Yeah, a few of you from back in the day. He was a pastor here from 1994 to 2004. And uh, it was under his um, leadership that we ended up building the school down there. And lots of stuff happened under Mike Lambert. So he's going to come back and he's going to have our worship, um, our sermon for the day. We're also going to have Eric Brown from the conference office come and we're going to have a joint Sabbath school time. And it's going to be focused on uh, who are these Adventists? Where did they come from? Why do we have this church up here on the hill? And so that's the, the Sabbath school time. And uh, on Friday night, we're going to be telling stories. And between the services on Sabbath, we're going to be telling stories about the, the thrift store and about the church school and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, Pam's got some really cool stories about where, uh, where this church has come from and how her family was part of the, the group that started this in 1931. It's going to be a great time. And, and uh, I just sent out on Thursday 250 letters of all the people whose addresses I have asking them to come and join us. That's 250 letters to to families. So presumably there's more than one person in each of those families. I'm not sure where we'd fit everybody if they all came. (laughs) Um, But I'm praying that that people come. And then to next week, we're going to have a... a, um, a flyer, uh, an invitation card that you can take out. And if you know somebody who has in some way been connected with our church but hasn't been coming for a long time for one reason or another, uh, take that to them and and make it an excuse to go say hi and say, hey, come on and, and visit us just for the day. But how we relate to people that wander in from our newspaper ad that's going in the newspaper on Thursday or from our Facebook advertising or the letters that we've sent out, how we respond to the people that walk through our doors for the first time, just curious about who these Adventist people are, or again, old friends that we're seeing again is going to make a big difference. What we do with those connection opportunities God gives us makes a big difference in in people's willingness to engage with the gospel through our church family. So here's two suggestions for this year. We'll we'll bring up more later on, but I'll just give you two today. One of them is an intentionality. What if every one of us, as we were driving to church in the morning, instead of... uh, Um, arguing with our spouse or telling our kids to stop kicking our seat from the back or whatever it is we normally do on the way to church. What if we took that time and we prayed, Lord, who do you want me to connect with today? What new friend do you want me to make today? And then as, as you're leaving, um, I, I love the prayer time in the front, but there's a, a holiness to the opportunity we have as we're leaving and interacting with each other in the, in the foyer. What if in that time you make that new friend and you exchange numbers, be intentional, exchange numbers, and then text them, say Sunday or Monday. So glad that that I got to connect with you uh, at church this weekend. Uh, We should get together sometime. And you make plans maybe uh, to to hang out at each other's house for a Sabbath lunch or sometime during the week. What if we did that as a church? What if that was part of our culture that we prayed and said, God, who do you want me to connect with this week? Then there's one other thing that I would like to suggest. And it's kind of the, the opposite kind of thing. Have you ever gotten a card from somebody when you're sick? And you just felt kind of warm and fuzzy, like, oh, they they thought of me. They like me. They want me around. That that feels like welcome, doesn't it? And and here's my suggestion. I, I didn't bring them today. I, I failed you. I'm sorry. But I got a bunch of cards. Some of them are get well soon cards. Some of them are miss you cards. And there's all kinds of varieties there. Are, I think five different cards. And I, I'm, I'm building, I'm in the process of building a mailbox with a little um, stacks uh, thing on there. And the idea is that, that uh, you look around today and you're like, hey, I don't see, um, well, Perry and Dagny, if you're watching from home. Um, <laughs> Their batteries in their house uh, died today. It was uh, so cold. (laughs) So they had to stay home. But you look around and you say, I don't see Perry and Dagny. And, uh, And God put it on your heart. You thought of them. And so that's God's Holy Spirit giving you a nudge towards responding. Now, what I'd like to do is make it really easy for you to respond. So we're going to have those cards in the back. And you just, as you're walking out, grab that card. Uh, if you don't know their address, just write their name and say, Missed you today. Hope everything is well. Maybe jot your number on it so they can call you if, they, if you want them to. And then just put it in the mailbox. I'll have a directory there, um, so if you want to fill out their address too, and maybe I'll have some, uh, some, some stamps too, that you can stamp it if you want. But just if, if you can't figure out all those things and, and, and it's just simpler for you, I want you to at least fill out the card and drop it in the mailbox, and one of our ministry leaders will make sure that gets in the mail on Monday or Tuesday of the next week. And don't say to yourself... Oh, somebody else will think about them. They're closer to so-and-so. Um, they, they don't want to hear from me. If the Holy Spirit has prompted your mind to think about that person and recognize that they're not present with us, then he has given you the responsibility of engaging with them and telling them that we love them. What do you think about those two ideas? Intentionality as we come, intentionality as we leave. Do you think people will feel more welcomed? I'd love for us at the end of 2022 to be known as the most welcoming church in Bonners Ferry. Amen. What if we were known for Not just doing that, but what if we were known to be a welcoming church? I'd like you to join me in a commitment. It's a simple commitment. And it's just to simply say that we will become, learn to become, A welcoming community. Would you like to join me in that commitment to learn how to do that? Thank you. I'm excited for what God has in store this year. I know that because of these grand prophecies we've just finished studying, that God's plan is to come really soon. We are living in the end times. We've pointed that out many times over the last few months. We're living at the end of time. God's plan is to come soon and he he wants us to be like the stars shining in our community, leading people to Jesus. Let's stand and sing a song that reminds us of what God has invited us to do. It's called Seeking the Lost. Number 373, I believe.